Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Emma Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back. Yeah. With a little bit of a year-end wrap-up. <laughs> hey. We're sitting here on the couch and we're like, we almost forgot to release an episode. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nah. Well, we did have this one planned for you guys because uh, we ended up getting a little bit busier over the holidays than we planned. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, but we have some really fun news, but we wanted to first just say happy holidays to everyone happy we hope everybody had an amazing christmas or whatever it was you were celebrating like that it was awesome lots of good drinks i'm sure just like us (laughs) lots of good everything i'm ready to start the new year (laughs) with a health kick Yep. We <laughs> tried to kind of tonight, but it didn't really work. Nah, failed still. Yeah. Whatever. It's still, it's it's still not, 2018. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But anyways, we do have a little bit of a Patreon announcement. We have a new member on our crew. Yeah, absolutely. So we wanted to welcome Brian H. So thank you so much for joining our community, man. He's been a member uh, of our group on Facebook for a long mm-hmm. time. He's been yeah. a super active uh, member of that community. And been he's chatting kinda, away. Yeah, made the made the leap and joined us on Patreon. So that kind of made uh, that, that capped off the year that was awesome yeah that was really exciting thank you so yeah yeah. we've got some kind of just like year-end comments i guess before we uh before we let you guys listen to this latest episode (laughs) um i don't even know like we had some interesting things come up like for example barack obama's top movie of the year which was an interesting thing amber discovered i really was impressed with this one it was annihilation weird so you know We we had to mention it it's highbrow because, you know, it's Natalie Portman, but at the same time, these movies are a lot of the times pretty fringe, so I'm pretty yeah. impressed with Obama's choice on it, that it, one. I, well, the first thing I said to you when you mentioned that to me, I was like, that's extremely ominous. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> this guy knows things that we don't know. <laughs> like, why is that your favorite movie? Like, that's weird, man. Please tell me that's not going to be a real thing. I, I really hope that's not going to be a real thing. I just hope you liked liked it for the acting, maybe. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Concept. I think he probably <laughs> likes the comments. I, I, I find that that's the cool part to me. It's like Barack mm-hmm. Obama is clearly interested in the paranormal, yeah. the bizarre. Oh, yeah. And I find that fascinating. That's How really could cool. you not be after being the U.S. president? Well, I guess so, right? You're looking at some pretty, uh, yeah, some juicy, yeah. undisclosed documents and things. Exactly. And, and even some dark times as he's heading out of office and, you know, it's pretty ominous out there and That's you, right. never, you never know. So anyway, that was kind of interesting and obviously ties into our Film Friday. For those yeah. of you who haven't listened to the Film Fridays, go check out the Annihilation episode. Yeah. But uh, we had a couple other things here too. Like, I mean, we're not going to get too far into this, but it's like, we didn't prep anything. We're kind of just... We're just throwing these questions at each other like willy-nilly. You know, what was your favorite episode we did this year? Well, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can go first if you want. Um, yeah. Our favorite episodes of the year. I mean, <sighs> Ogopogo. Really? Yeah, I'm you're going Ogopogo. One, eh? I, I don't know why. <laughs> maybe maybe Canvases, though, which is weird because it's like, I feel like the funnest episodes, I mean, they're all, they've all been super fun. But that handful right at the beginning when we first got going, mm-hmm. every time I come back on iTunes, I it always just like warms my heart and it's like so cool to see that like Cambyses and Ogopogo are always there at the top. Yeah. That people are like going back and listening to those ones. They do. So I think that that's really special and really cool. So Yeah, that is really fun. I really like the beginning ones too and everything that we've done since then has just grown and grown in my opinion as far as honestly though. I think one of my favorites is the one that we are going to be re-releasing tonight oh, because yes. I have a special affixation for 
World War II mystery. Yes, you do. And she really does, people. in particular. <laughs> and I hate to say it, like, it's a weird, morbid fascination. Not even. You're not alone. Yeah, I'm definitely not alone on this one. And we worked really hard on it. So we did. I feel like this is definitely justified and warranted because there's probably a lot of people that didn't have time to go on Patreon and check it out. That's right. So we actually have a little bit of a special announcement. So like we said, we were a little bit busy over the holiday break for very very good reasons um and and andrew ended up popping the question so (laughs) so we ended up getting engaged and so that was a kind of a whirlwind and yep we're still riding that wave a little bit it kind of overtook research it kind of did that (laughs) christmas the holidays family all of it so yeah I can't. I'm, I'm still. I'm still in the clouds, and I probably will be for the rest of my life. Oh, but sweet. we decided that we wanted to re-release the Amber Room yes. on our regular feed for everyone because we know that we know that not everybody had a chance yeah. to listen to it because it was a little hop, skip, and a jump to get over there and listen to it on Patreon, and mm-hmm. a lot of you did. But um, we we know how many people listen every week, and that a big chunk of you didn't get a chance to listen to this episode. So this is still a taste of what we do on Patreon. But holy moly, like Amber said, like this was one of the coolest episodes we've ever done Mm -hmm. in our opinion so here it is on our regular feed totally Um, yeah so it's a very special historical mystery we have worked really hard to put together this month and this is the type of thing that you can look forward to every month on our feed on patreon and we want to bring more we really do more historical mystery yes right well all of it well more in general more you mentioned historical mystery today too though you're like i'm I'm, really digging it (laughs) i'm getting jazzed up about stuff (laughs) It's exciting. It's it fun. is. It is. Because it's a real intangible, you know what I mean? Like, there's mm-hmm. stuff to be found. There is something about it that just really jives with my more rational brain. Totally. And, it, yeah. And like we said, like, it's less conjecture. There's a lot of conjecture, but there's a lot more tangible elements, too, to a lot of it. Not yeah. that I love fantasy and I love thinking about the surreal and everything else. Of course. That's we what love I'm all that about. Stuff. Of course. But Into the Portal is our name. Balance is the name of the game. Indeed. But anyways, yeah, so we would love to bring this special encore presentation of a Patreon exclusive from our December feed. And is there anything else you want to say about this, Andrew? I think that's everything. I mean, Happy New Year, everyone, because Happy it New is going to be New Year's Eve tomorrow, and uh, we'll, we'll obviously announce it on our feeds and so socials <laughs> and stuff, but Happy New Year, everyone. Enjoy this episode, and we look forward to an epic 2019 for Into the Portal. Exactly. And thank you again to all of our new patrons this month, including Brian. And thank you to our uh, producer, Charlie Ramler, Absolutely. of course. Yep. And to everyone listening right now. And thank you enjoy. to everyone who came on our show this year. We had some guests, oh, yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll be doing lots of social media stuff uh, in regards to that, but you all know who you are, and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Ready for this? Let's do it. All right. Seventeen oh one. Across the heartland of Germany, the most skilled craftsmen of the nation are hard at work, sculpting the most elaborate masterpiece of amber the world had ever seen. Several tons of material were incorporated into the construction of massive panels, sculptures, furniture, and even doors out of the golden gemstone into what became known as the Amber Room. Admired across Europe, the Amber Room caught the eye of Peter the Great on a visit to the Prussian Kingdom. 
it would travel back to Russia with the infamous leader where it found a new home. That is, until the German makers came calling for it in the throes of World War II. By the end of the war, the invaluable Amber Room had vanished. What fate had the priceless art piece befallen? Join us on Into the Portal for an all-new, full-length, Patreon-exclusive episode examining the notorious vanishing of the Amber Room. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back with another full-length Patreon exclusive for the month of December. Yes. And this month we're getting into a lot of history stemming from World War II. And it's a Nazi mystery we're exploring, guys. Yeah. We're really excited to present this one to you. And what is it we are talking about exactly, Andrew? Okay, so today we are discussing the most expensive missing artifact lost during the Second World War, the missing Amber Room. So essentially, it is a complete chamber whose walls, ceilings, and the entire decor was carved from massive slabs of amber, and then other portions of it covered in gold leaf. So, super ornate, very extravagant, and uh, just a priceless treasure. And this was first conceived by sculptor Andres... uh, Oh man, I'm struggling with European names (laughs) lately. Andreas uh, Schulter? Schluter. Schluter? Mm -hmm. Uh, This was during the 17th century, of course, when Prussia was dominant, and he was a member of the Prussian court. So the Amber Room's creation involved casting of melted Baltic amber, and if I'm not mistaken, amber is is prehistoric tree sap, correct? It is, yeah. It is essentially, um, well, the area of the Baltic Sea is one of the largest uh, storehouses of this naturally occurring gemstone. It's called, it's it's considered a semi-precious gemstone. Semi-precious gemstone, right. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And, well, what's interesting is at the time, of course, this, this amber, this material was a dozen times more valuable than gold itself, which is crazy. That is insane. So essentially, uh, this was, this was formed by using hundreds of pieces that were really small and interlaced together to form 46 wall panels backed by sheets of gold and silver. And these panels were up to 12 feet tall. They were absolutely enormous. So you can kind of just, you can imagine how massive this room was. Huge. Um, (laughs) huge. Yeah. (laughs) And it is considered, it is still considered the single most amazing feat achieved um that was ever carved in amber in modern history kind of the most the quintessential amber artifact um 590 square foot room that contained over jeepers creepers 13,000 pounds or six tons of amber wow yeah. crazy and of course all of this vanished during mm-hmm. the second world war yeah so it's a very incredible feat artistic feat just engineering feat right like how do you this is a almost like but amber is one of the more brittle gemstones or Gem semi-precious items. materials yes, i guess you yeah. could consider it uh, one thing i did want to point out about this is the fact that 
I am not an expert <laughs> manufacturing amber, carving amber, but we got two different sort of um, descriptions here where I think it was a combination of involving like casting melted amber and then also carving it. Okay. And the art of carving amber was something that was not as, it wasn't widespread, but it was more popular during um, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance up to the 1800s. So during the time of, uh, yeah, the, the Prussian Empire and all that kind right. of stuff. But has since been lost in the 20th century. So yeah, it's very interesting. This was considered the eighth wonder of the world. Wow. Yeah. It's hey, amazing. Uh, it is incredible. And if you go and just Google pictures, you're just almost like blinded by how stunning and how ornate it is. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think that this is all actually amber yeah there's so many different shades so many different like colors textures all the stuff and it's all just it's amazing how do you feel about your name being amber in this episode i i've always really <laughs> liked that part of my name it's so funny i used to joke and be like, oh yeah i'm just fossilized tree sap <laughs> but, but really though like um i have gravitated towards that i have many amber pieces of jewelry and they're beautiful exactly mm -hmm. my mom likes to get them for me so yeah it's <laughs> a thing yeah <laughs> but the actual amber um, room origins is actually really interesting too it has a lot of political history mm -hmm. and essentially originally it was intended for the prussian king frederick's uh, charlottenburg palace in berlin which was the largest palace in berlin at the time however eventually um the panels themselves were fitted into another palace the berlin city palace i'm not sure why they changed their minds hmm. i don't know it's probably just a just a royal, last minute royal decision, Just you know? Just an aesthetic change. Yeah. And so it's interesting, though, because the the Amber Room wouldn't remain in Prussia for very long. In about 19, or sorry, <laughs> 19, <laughs> 1716, Peter the Great of Russia made a visit to Berlin City Palace in order to forge an alliance with the Prussians against Sweden. Okay. Yeah, so they were... Uh, Anyways, there were some rivalries going on there. And so recognizing the importance of the visit, King Frederick's son actually presented Peter the Great with the Amber Room as a gesture of goodwill after he had commented on how stunning it was, and he was fairly enamored with the piece. Wow, okay. Exactly. So he gifted it to him, trying to ensure the success of a Prussian-Russian alliance, although it would be anything but peaceful in the end, and there's quite a bloody history there. But we're not going to go into that right now. Not today. No. So essentially today, all these panels put together, all of the furniture that was carved, like there's amazing amounts of amber in this room, and it's estimated to be worth approximately a quarter of a billion dollars or sorry sorry <laughs> not a quarter of a billion dollars a uh, actually yeah, yeah a quarter, of a, quarter of a billion dollars actually that makes sense 250 yeah. million euros 224 million pounds that makes sense yeah okay, um, some of these uh, i mean obviously currencies are fluctuating constantly Very so true. Who, who's to say but we're, we're working roughly within the range of a quarter of a billion dollars quarter of a billion not a million why have billions when you can have millions <laughs> yeah so <laughs> The definitely, definitively the most valuable art piece missing. Yes. Yes. In the world. <laughs> so that's the real mystery here. So the Amber Room um, ended up in Pushkin Palace, just outside of uh, Leningrad. And, or sorry, St. Petersburg. I think St. Petersburg became Leningrad eventually. But anyways. <laughs> Was it the other way around? No. No, it was because Peter the Great, St. Petersburg. Right, right, And then when right. Lenin came and the revolution happened, right, they changed right, to right. Leningrad. That's right, that's right. Exactly. So essentially, yeah, it went missing during the World War II, and it is considered the most valuable piece of art stolen by the Nazis during this time. 
and it was successfully lifted from the Pushkin Palace outside of, yeah, Leningrad or, yeah, St. Petersburg. Wow. That's the confusing part. We're going to get into, like, there's obviously an evolution of names in the area, and we're just, yeah, we're going to... We're going to get through it. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of names, lots of, uh, well, yeah, place names and people's names. So, like, we'll try to we'll, we'll try to massage our way through it and exactly. make sure it's uh, clear. We'll make it a colorful story. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, yeah, so the actual story of the theft. This is quite fascinating. Yeah. So everyone knows that in June of 1941, Hitler invaded Russia. And the Nazis started to commence a meticulously planned operation to seize anything that represented German craftsmanship or art, and particularly from the 18th century onward, because mm-hmm. that was the great, the I don't even know what they would call it, like the great formation period of what Germany would be. Right. Um, however, so all of this was happening long before World War One, actually, or sorry, World War Two broke out. And um, curators, oh my gosh, I can't talk. Cultural and art experts were sent out to map and document all treasures considered to be of German origins so that they could eventually steal it back during the war. And this was starting in the early 30s, I guess, eh? 1933 was the day uh, or the year of this actual policy. It was an official policy. They they reenacted it from the First World War, actually. And it was known as... Kunstschutz. <laughs> okay. Kunstschutz. And this is just the, pr- the German concept of, or principle of preserving cultural heritage and artworks during armed conflict. So during World War I, this was actually used quite legitimately to preserve many works of art. So like all the forces, like the Axi- A- Axis forces? Yep. Yeah. The Axis forces, they banded together. So Italy sent a lot of uh, art to Germany for safekeeping. And same with all their other allies. So, again, the Nazis were very um, manipulative and decided to just reinstate this as, like, a very honorable um, ambition of the German state. Right. Even if what they were taking wasn't even of German. (laughs) Well, that's just it, because the Amber Room was of German creation, but it was gifted. So it's not theirs. it's not of German creation. It's not. It is of German creation. It's just not of German ownership. It's not of their. It's not their property anymore. It's the property of Russia. <laughs> right. Right. right? right. <laughs> and I suppose, but just... it's still before the formation of modern Germany, though. So it's like, it's Germanic descent, I guess you can say. Exactly. But it's not Germany. No. So it wasn't gifted from Germany. But Germany to definitely. Yeah, they, they they as part of their sort of cultural mythos and their nationalist sort of they ideas. Feel that it's... Exactly, and it was. I actually wasn't able to confirm this, but I believe that many pieces of the Amber Room were actually initially manufactured in Königsberg, where it ended up during World War II. Very interesting. But anyways, yeah. So (laughs) under the initiative of Hermann Göring, he enacted these specialized military units that were dispersed all throughout Germany and and beyond into the states that they were invading Mm. in in the effort of Kunstschutz. I'm not saying that right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. We're not German. <laughs> we're not German, we but need, I love uh, saying German words. Yeah, we need Josh. Shout out oh, to Josh yeah. Heinitz. Josh. He's, he's going to be he's speaking. He's in Japan, but he speaks German. So, <laughs> well, maybe he'll be speaking Japan by the time he gets home. He will be. Definitely. He can speak Japanese now. I know he can. Can yeah, he? I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. He's picking it up. Well, anyways, anyway. shout out to Josh. Yeah. But once the invasion of Russia occurred in 1941, uh, this was just like a scramble for Soviet curators, and they were in a race to hide all their valuable known artifacts in Siberia. So a lot of trains were shipping stuff eastward, but 
the amber room presented a problem because <laughs> this yeah it was the most ornate chamber ever carved the the panels themselves were extremely brittle yeah. and it was much too fragile to move and so under the suggestion of head curator anatoly kushimov who will come up again in this story okay the museum curators together use their cigarette papers to sort of cover paper over the amber protected from cracking and then they used wool so like cotton wool taken from literally the cushions anything they had around because they yeah. were scrambling they used cushions they used um newspaper i believe and then they wallpapered over top of the amber to try to disguise it as yeah. another room <laughs> however didn't work out no the, it, the efforts were futile unfortunately because the nazis had this meticulous plan they had sent out art experts years before right so they knew exactly where it was yeah and they essentially were just waiting for their moment and so a mere two months after the invasion of russia the germans had already surrounded saint petersburg and they had a very specific goal in mind they wanted the amber room yeah <laughs> so they knew exactly where to look and despite the disguise they were very successful they actually dismantled it in 36 hours that's so fast. I know. So it's considering kind of, the size. Like. Right? I know. Like, <laughs> it's almost 600 square feet. So that's that's impressive. And just the fact that the Soviets were so... I don't even know. I think maybe they were just cautious because they didn't want to be responsible for any destruction. But at this point, the Germans were like, screw that. There might have been some damage when they removed it. But they were able to successfully um, reconstruct it at Konigsberg Castle. Right. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, they ripped out all the panels, packed them away in 26 boxes, and shipped them to a secret location in Konigsberg, which became the center for all of these um, representations of German high culture and art. Right. Yeah, really so that's Konigsberg Castle, which is located in about, it's like, it's central Germany, but it's south central. Um, so that was the last known location of the Amber Room. The last known location. That's mm -hmm. so interesting. I remember um, from one of those documentaries we watched too, like when they actually went to take the Amber Room and disassemble it, that they were so well informed. Their, their, their spies and all this kind of stuff, like they knew, they knew which room it was. Mm -hmm. Like they, they maybe had a couple, like they said something along the lines of like, there was a bunch of different rooms and they literally had it before they even entered the building. They knew it was one of two yep. in one area of like the wing or whatever. I know. It's... And so it's like, it was regardless if it was uh papered over or not. They but knew, you yeah. would think though that they might've fallen for the idea that, if, if the Soviets had been clever enough to paper it over and then over top of that paper make it look as if something had been ripped off the walls already. Right. So that there was, like, evidence of damage as if yeah. the Amber Room had been dismantled. Absolutely. They would have been more successful with this. Yeah. But there's a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory, but there's an alternative theory that actually ha goes back to this very moment. But we won't get to that until the very end. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to get into sort of the theories as to what ha might have happened to this precious art piece. The meat of the mystery. And we'll, we'll start off with the most, it's not dull, but I'd say it's the most, um, how would you describe it's this? It's just the most mainstream, the mo or the least interesting. The least satisfying, that's for sure. <laughs> so the, the generally accepted mainstream theory or perspective on the Amber Room is that, the, is that it was destroyed. That it was destroyed by the Soviets at the end of the war during the retreat of the Germans from Konigsberg, which you just said was mm -hmm. its final 
locate known location. And of course the Soviets spared no ammunition on entering the city. This was like a gnarly offensive and the allied bombers swept in, swept through the city for days. So there was an air offensive as well as ground offensive. And by the time the red army had actually arrived, the entire city was already basically on fire. Much of it was destroyed. And it was said that most witnesses, that that most of the witnesses basically said that Konigsberg castle had remained standing, but they weren't Mm -hmm. sure if it was, um, anyway. So the red army moved in and basically demolished anything left over that hadn't already been destroyed. And in their fury of regaining, of reigning over the, sorry, I'm, I'm getting turned around here. Basically they could have destroyed it. Which is very, very sad. They were infuriated. They knew that this was a hotbed of Nazism. This was a central location. Very important. Very strategically significant. And they were just balls to the wall. Just, like, destroy everything. Not a single brick left unturned. Yeah. Which, which to to be fair, was kind of... I mean, the mindset you had to have going into a full-out siege at the end of the war. But, of course, as the dust settled um, and the Germans had retreated, the Soviets couldn't find any traces of the Amber Room at Konigsberg. Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> um, so, of course, the the story goes that they were suddenly basically like, holy crap, did we just demolish to pulverize the Amber Room into dust? Did the Yeah, it's just that dread descending over them. Could yeah. you imagine that? Like, you're in your fear, your blind fury, you're just going and just wantonly destroying everything. Of course you're going to destroy the castle. That's like the pinnacle of the city. Just as a symbolic thing yeah mm-hmm. you have to i'm actually not sure what the state of Konigsberg castle is to this day that would be interesting i'm sure that parts of it remained intact for sure especially like the lower parts of it um and we will get into a little bit more of that but essentially this main generally accepted idea was that by the time the red army uh arrived at Konigsberg castle it was standing there was damage and there was actually damage from the year before there was like air raids in 1944 in august so it had sustained sustained sorry significant damage throughout the war too yeah. so who's to say actually i would love to go visit if there is but of course there's an aspect of all this i think you'll touch on later but like they didn't find anything exactly anything anything but that's just it though you you get discrepancies all over the place and that's where we get into these muddied mired politics of the cold war and all this fun stuff and like and and nationalist agendas and what's at stake here for each country right so we'll yeah anyways so okay so we're up to the end of the war everything's burned down destroyed all this stuff in 1946 Anatoly Kushimov, so the original curator of the Amber Room, um, he went to investigate the the um, Pushkin, or sorry, not the Pushkin Palace. He went to investigate Konigsberg Palace, where the Amber Room was said to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And he, interestingly enough, reasoned that the Amber Room had survived the siege. Okay. Okay. And he was of the mind that it had been spirited out of the city while the resistance was still ongoing. Mm-hmm. So he deducted this from the fact that the Amber Room contained these, there was these four panels described in this documentary that were basically identical, I guess, and super ornate. Okay, so this is four of 46 <laughs> panels we're talking about okay. here. So anyways, apparently he found th- fragments of three in the rubble. And these fragments allegedly disintegrated on contact, 
So he didn't actually have any evidence to bring back with him. But he did say significantly that the fourth of these super ornate panels was actually missing, leading him to believe that the Amber Room had been transported and stored elsewhere underground. There's other accounts, though, and we watched another documentary with this guy, Oliver Steeds, and he interviewed... um, he interviewed a, I think it was a curator of the museum now that is Konigsberg. It is still standing. Like, it's still there. Yeah. I'm just not sure what state it's in, if you can go visit it or not. I'm sure you can, but yeah. But essentially, um, he was talking to this young girl who <clears throat> was an official with the castle, and she said that there had been no evidence found of burned amber, melted amber, yeah. anything to do with the um, the iron locks and, and panels that would have kept the boxes together, like the crates. So that, to me, is a big big piece of missing evidence definitely Mm -hmm. and i mean just the fact too that if the on on the on the on the front end when they did all this research and had all these spies and were so meticulous and knowing exactly where it was and being able to package it up in 36 hours and transport it back why would you half-ass it on the back end Mm -hmm. when you know you have a quarter of a billion dollar well now whatever it would have been even more back then exactly uh item and you're just gonna wait till the last second to be like oh crap maybe we should pack this up they were smarter than that they were obviously this is in one of the most tumultuous um times of the war a lot of chaos a lot of things a lot of stuff going missing and not because it's been destroyed but because people are looting themselves and nazis were responsible for a large portion of looting their own treasures that the state had acquired yeah so that's a, a huge component here. An interesting point, though, about Kushimov, and we did allude to this already, is that he was the decision maker to hide the Amber Room instead of dismantling it. So he had a lot at stake here to himself. Like, you have to imagine he's going in, he's investigating. He probably didn't want to come to the conclusion that the Red Army had destroyed the Amber Room. Therefore, he might have been trying to pursue any available means. No, there's a lot of available means though and a lot of different competing theories out there. Yeah, so definitely. I don't I don't blame him for not coming to the conclusion that it was just simply destroyed. So naturally, obviously this is Cold War era. We have the creation of Eastern like the division of Germany into East West Germany. We have the creation of the Stasi, which was the East German secret police. And then we have the investigation of (laughs) the KGB as well. So these are two competing investigations, even though they're technically all Soviets. Or not Soviets, but they're all technically communists. Communists, yeah. And they were supposed to be working together, right? They're supposed to be cooperative, but not really. (laughs) But of course, that's not how, yeah. So essentially... uh, These investigations went on for the next 30 years separately, highly secretive. They were competing. They weren't cooperating. And uh, each wanted the glory of finding the Amber Room. So this obviously resulted in a super strange, awkward, tense relationship formed between the two agencies. Mm -hmm. And it seemed as if each one was just trying to one-up the other the entire time. That's basically, that's definitely how they made it seem in the the articles we looked at. It really Um, did. And... It's interesting, yeah, but there was points of cooperation, I would say, so it's not as if it was completely... Points like, of cooperation, because you're, you're, you're shooting for the same end, but mm-hmm. they wanted to be the ones to... Definitely. ...to find it, the Stasi and or the KGB. Totally. Um, so they all had their competing areas that they were investigating. The KGB was focusing more on Konigsberg, and then right. the East German Stasi began <clears throat> searching a little bit closer to home. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were kind of following different different clues, and one of the ones that the <clears throat> excuse me the Stasi were following were was testimony from a former Nazi officer by the name of Gerhard Strauss. I think it's Gerhard. 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 
Gerard. Gerard. Okay. Gerard. 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 Shout out to Gerard Way. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. So yeah. So okay. Gerhard Strauss, and he essentially explained that as the bombs fell from the Allies and the Germans were uh, were surrounded, the Amber Room was transported to safety. So it, he 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 gave testimony that it had been moved, mm-hmm. and so Gortlitz. Gorlitz. Is there a T in there? No. I I feel like there should be. That would just be so much, so much. It sounds like a Bond villain or something. Gorlitz. I don't know. Sounds like it's from uh, the the movie that you were just referencing, the Nazi movie. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Inglorious Bastards. Hugo Stiglitz. Yeah, I love that part. So, okay. He was the first placed... Sorry. He was. Sorry, this was. <laughs> God. <laughs> this was the first place that was searched based on Strauss's evidence. But, of course, nothing ended up being turned up. And the Stasi were at a dead end. Now, did you actually put down here the... They spent a lot of money on this, didn't they? They did, and it will come up again because okay. there was a lot of different places they searched. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this was this was an unprecedented move for the for a secret police agency. Um, in 1958, the Stasi went public with their plea for help and basically an appeal to any citizens for information regarding the missing Amber Room. They were they figured somebody might have a trickling down of information from the war. Mm-hmm. Um, this yeah. is kind of crazy, like the Stasi asking for the public's help. Right. Normally, they're monitoring and policing the public without the public being yes. aware of it. So for them to come out and be like, hey guys, we kind of need your help with this one, was very unprecedented. It's unprecedented and obviously ironic and a little bit of a slap in the face to the German people too. I, I, I'm reminded of that film, The Lives of Others. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. I guess you go check it out. I love that movie. It's a good mm-hmm. movie. And anyway, yeah, so they weren't known for this method, obviously. Um, Paul Anchor, not to be confused with Paul Anka, the singer. He was like a jazz singer in the, <laughs> in the, from the States or something. Okay, there. <laughs> Very close in name. Not to be confused, because people know who that is. <laughs> he was referenced in uh, that 70s show when we were watching it recently. He was in, uh, in, uh, in the van with, uh, anyway, Kelso? Kelso's van. Okay. <laughs> So, Paul Anker, he was the head of this operation, though, and a former Nazi himself turned communist and a member of the Stasi and the secret police. And Anker uh, received a tip from a man by the name of Rudy Ringel. Man, these names were thrown out at you guys here. Love it. Who told him a story about how he had been uh, digging in in, in the rubble of his family's home when he found a package of documents from his father. Now, he claimed that his father was a member of the SS, and Ringel was uh, scared when he found those and burned the documents. Mm-hmm. So he was basically afraid of the repercussions about the association of his father being an SS. So Ringel recalls reading the documents about 42 cases uh, to be transported from, or sorry, to... I don't even know what that stands for, BSCH. BSCH. Not sure, but I... I we can Google it, it, okay. it. Yeah, it was 42 cases. That's interesting, because the original... Hmm. The original story was that it was 46 cases. So that's an important discrepancy there. Yeah, for short. That makes, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> yeah, so they, they were ordered to be evacuated and the evidence of the deed had been carried out. Uh, where, yeah, where, where, yeah. We're in these letters, supposedly. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but of course, okay. Um, so he had evidence to suggest that um, these had been spirited away to a town called Langford and... Yeah, he kind of led them on a wild use chase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Langfeld or Langford? Langfeld. Langfeld. I think, okay. I guess, yeah. 
But of course, nothing was found. So yeah, I mean, what do you make of that? What do you make of this? Well, the, the Rudy Ringel's story is a complete fabrication in the end, we right. learn. Um, so again, another stupid dead end for the Shazi. They were just, I think they were just plagued by a lot of these. Um, yeah, so it ended up that he literally, Rudy Ringel was nothing but a wounded postman, or his father was, I can't remember which was the case. And they there was no such thing as the forged documents he was alluding to. And Like, what do you think really his motivation was, though? I think he was just one of those people that kind of wanted the limelight for a few minutes. He was just a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? I think so. Either that or he was genuinely delusional about what he had seen. Because at the time, he was quite young, I believe. Like, he was in his early 20s, maybe. Okay. And so, like, he he had these supposed memories, and he was traumatized by the fact that he had found out his father was a Nazi. I don't know. To me, it seems like a complete fantasy. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe hmm. Rudy Ringel, there's more to it. But Rudy was definitely eliminated as being a... Um, yeah, yeah, legitimate uh, lead. Regular size Rudy. Regular size <laughs> But the mystery continues. And there was an actual breakthrough in the 1960s from the KGB investigation. And this is where we get into a very prominent member of the SS who was responsible for... He was like the art director for all stolen Nazi treasures throughout the war. And he was stationed at Konigsberg. And that was the central place, like we said, for all of these treasures to be um, centralized. Mm-hmm. So essentially, yeah, the investigation on the KGB side had turned to Eric Koch, who was this prominent SS officer, like I alluded to, and he was responsible for looting numerous works of art during the war. And he was also responsible for the reconstruction of the Amber Room in Konigsberg Castle. And that was on display from 1942 to 1944 when they decided to pack it back up again once mm. things started to get a little shifty. Mm. Yeah. So he had been um, caught in, I believe it was 1944, late 44, early 45 by the Russian officials. And he had been interrogated for years and years and years. One of the only, one of the few um, really prominent SS officers that had actually been captured alive and didn't kill himself. So after years of interrogation, he actually had confessed that he ordered the Amber Room to be packed up and evacuated. However, by the time um, he had done this, it wasn't possible because they were surrounded on all sides. And so it had actually been buried in a church underneath Konigsberg. And I can't remember the exact name of the church, but the investigation went there. They they had to actually negotiate with the uh, the church officials because obviously it's kind of sacred grounds. But hmm. they ended up they ended up um, excavating and didn't find anything. And so yeah, it is, remained. I guess is the intention there. Sorry to interrupt you, but like I guess is the intention there to think that like maybe a church will be spared during a siege. Perhaps. Like and, have, and that. But again, it's just another wild goose chase, unless they just didn't look in the right place. Right. But you would think there would be evidence, because like, this isn't, this is the 1960s, so it's been a couple decades. You would think that there might be more evidence to suggest like something had been, you know, like, like messed with, like, you know, like the ground or maybe like evidence of a tunnel being built. Some sort of indication of something being buried. But nothing really was found. And I honestly think that that was just another goose chase that Mm. Coach was sending them off on. (laughs) Right? As if you weren't enough of a dick already. Exactly. Okay. This is another really colorful character. Koch, like we alluded to, he was the director for all these stolen artworks, but he was looting himself. He had a very large collection of looted artworks. (laughs) And his record of such was actually uncovered. I can't remember which side. I think it was the KGB uncovered it. And so he, these were all like missing still. 
And wow. so, yeah, so there's a lot of mystery surrounding this. I don't think that Koch's um, looted treasures have actually been uncovered to this day. So they're left to be found. Exactly. But the evidence had kind of taken them um, south. And this was towards a valley known as the Esk Valley. And this is where they began searching a lot of different mines in the area. Mm-hmm. It was huge. There was massive areas to cover. It started costing the taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars in the end. I think it was half a <coughs> mil. So Ish. that's where we get into that whole thing. Yeah. Back in the day, that's a pretty penny. It was really, yeah. And like this guy, Anchor, that was in charge of the investigation, um, he, <laughs> could you just imagine being this guy? It's just dead end after dead end. And here you are, like, he's part of the Stasi, right? So these, this was one of the um, examples of them working together, like the KGB and the Stasi. And Stasi was not used to failure. Like no. they, were, they were choked. They were pissed about all of this. Like, yeah. it was making them look bad. And as the decades progressed, it was just getting worse. So essentially, yeah, they ended up narrowing the search to this one mind they excavated the shit out of it like it was like it was a deep mine and only to find evidence of i believe it was a soviet newspaper and cigarette butts that had um been placed there after the war so i think it was like dated to 1945 or 46 which means that the soviets had already actually investigated that area years before and found nothing yeah (sighs) or found something and removed it or, or whatever. Well, that's just it, too. Like, there's a lot of different conspiracies, but... To be fair to the Stasi and the KGB, they're not treasure-hunting agencies, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's so funny. Like you say, they're not used to failure, but it's also... They weren't used to treasure hunts, either. Like, they weren't... Very true. That, that wasn't really their... They were they were for surveilling humans. Exactly. They were used to getting answers by just sheer physical torture yeah. of their people and just yeah. getting, getting it that way. But the thing is, a lot of the secrets of the Amber Room might have been buried. They might have gone to the grave with prominent Nazi people that knew stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is so that just out of spite never would have said anything and just taken it to their grave? Just like, yeah. just classic, classic Nazi. <laughs> like oh, exactly. Yeah. So anyways, after this whole flop of an investigation, <laughs> which is the only thing we can call it really. Really? Yeah. Um, there was not really much that came about. Mm-hmm. So we get to the fall of the Berlin Wall, the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was not a lot going on. But significantly, okay, we need to get back to this whole idea that there was a severe lack of evidence at Konigsberg. Yeah. In my mind, yeah, like, What's that phrase you always say, Andrew? Evidence of absence is an absence of evidence? Or what? Or is, the, a, a, is the other way around? Absence <laughs> of evidence is an evidence of absence. Okay. That can kind of apply to this, I yeah, guess. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I... Well, no, this applies... This works perfectly for this scenario because obviously an absence of evidence at the site mm-hmm. actually leans to the fact that it was there and it was moved. Exactly. Because it was recorded to have been set up there for years right. on display and then packed back up. And interestingly, okay, so the idea that there was no traces of amber found at the site is bothersome to me. Yeah, definitely. Significantly, too, um, there were gold, copper, tin, and silver artifacts all found at the site of Konigsberg Castle in the Knights Hall where supposedly the um, amber room was displayed. And they were all intact. Like, they hadn't, like, burned or anything. So there's no way. And the other thing, too, to... uh, 
Okay, we're talking about six tons of amber here. I was just going to say the weight again, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot. That's massive. And I know that amber doesn't melt really that well. Like, if you get it at enough, like, at a hot enough temperature, it actually just turns to kind of, like, coal. So it doesn't actually turn into sap, which is weird, right? Because it originally came in a sap form. So people would think that it would just melt. Almost but now like it's like petrified sap, though. So exactly. it's changed form. Totally. So it's solidified. It's hardened prone to cracking, prone mm -hmm. to burning. I actually have a quote later on just like how it actually burns. Right. So yeah, six tons, 13,000 pounds. You think there's going to be like a couple grams of amber left to be found. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the melting point of amber is actually 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. That's still pretty hot. So it doesn't simply evaporate. There would be burnt slash melted amber left like charred remnants. There would have been charred remnants of the cases, like the, uh, like I said, like the brass and iron components on yeah. the cases themselves. Mm -hmm. So again, this has been brought up by many investigators, including this guy named Ollie or Oliver Steeds. Steeds. I don't know why Steeds. I say Steeds. Steeds. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no H in there. <laughs> Steeds. <laughs> Just any time it's like we're talking about German stuff. <laughs> Stiglitz and Steeds. Steiner. Steiner. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, he had this show. He's he. I think it's just called Mystery Investigator or like History Solved or something. And he went to investigate the Amber Room mystery. And he went to the site of Konigsberg Castle. Like I said, alluded to earlier, he did talk to um, a curator there that is now a museum, I guess. And she said that there was literally no evidence found. So the story that um, Kushimov had found fragments that disintegrated to dust could have happened, but it could not have happened too. Like, there's no evidence to suggest either way. But in, yeah, anyways, yeah. yeah. It almost makes me feel like, you know how you said that, like, he may have said that because that he wanted to believe that it was still out there. But also, maybe he said that to, like, because it seems like a lot of people involved in these investigations are not only confused on the pathways they're down, but possibly leaving breadcrumbs down false trails, right? Yeah. And and obviously that could be one of them. Like if the if the that's that just sounds like one of them. It mm -hmm. sounds like it sounds like something he would have said just to be like, oh, it must have been moved. Like and maybe over there. Why don't you go look over there? I'll go look over here. You know what I mean? Kind of. Oh thing? yeah. Like, uh, okay. So you think that. Kushimov could have led the KGB down a different road while he was trying to investigate. I don't the one know. thing that I always come back to with Kushimov, he is a complicated bird because because of his implication and involvement before the the before, um, the before. Amber Room was actually thefted from the as Pushkin the curator Castle. and all that. Yeah, exactly. So like his involvement and his attempt to sort of preserve himself, maybe to a certain degree. Yeah, like your reputation. Yeah, hmm. a little bit, and then maybe perhaps he was just so heartbroken about the whole thing he just couldn't bear the idea that it had been destroyed. Wonder, hey. I don't know, hmm. but anyways, yeah. So this guy Ollie Steeds is <laughs> Steeds. <laughs> We're gonna keep doing it. Just just call him that. Steeds. I'm slipping an S in there or an H. <laughs> Here it is. It's in there you now. Need the, you need the um, SCH. Shades. Okay. <laughs> Put her in. <laughs> there you go. We're anyways, just changing people's names now. <laughs> just to confuse everyone even more. <laughs> okay, we're changing it back. It's Steeds. Okay, it's Steeds. All right, so Steeds started off at Kuchima. Or <laughs> <laughs> he started off at Konigsberg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, Amber. we're we're good. We're good. Okay. All right. And he basically started with the premise that the Amber Room is out there somewhere. Right. 
he is definitely of the mind that that is the case. Mm -hmm. And he came to this small town near the Czech border called Savitnij, and I am so saying that so wrong, and I have the wrong spelling in front of me too, I'm so sorry, but anyways, it was this little town near the Czech border, and it has a lot of history um, of stories about Nazi treasure um, that were buried at the end of the war. Okay. This is a very interesting area because this was one of the first places that Hitler took over during the war, and so the Nazis would have considered it a safe place in the final days of the war to kind of congregate everything and then uh, dismantle it through maybe, hmm, Swiss railway lines? Hmm, maybe aboard ships in the Baltic Sea? I don't know. So anyways, yeah, so this town near the Czech border... And even just all along the Czech border, this is a hotbed of different sites where people theorize that the Amber Room could have been stored. <laughs> and so he ended up talking to this guy, famed Nazi hunter. Nazi. I'm going to go with the <laughs> you're Brad Pitt. In, you're turning into your mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm turning into my mom. Yeah. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, that's better. I'll go with the Brad Pitt. Yeah. Nazis. Nazis. Yeah. Okay. So Helmut Ganschel. Ganschel. He is a famed Nazi hunter, and he says that he had information from time that he spent undercover in a Czech war prisoner prison, sorry, with former SS. So he actually was okay. in there disguised as one of them, and he gained information that um, there was a significant number of crates that were brought from Königsberg to this area. Okay. And that they were brought by train and then by truck as things got worse and worse. Right. And that um, they were to be buried in a tunnel that was dug by over 300 French and Russian POW, so prisoners of war, who were gunned down afterward. And so there's a a field that we were brought to in the documentary, uh, open field where they farm now, and it's a pit where 300 people are buried. Right. And then on top of that, the Nazi officers, there was 11 of them that were in charge of this operation to dig this tunnel known as the Snake Tunnel. Yeah. And... um, it's interesting, their commanding officer, once once the 11 had basically just machine gun mowed down these 300 prisoners of war into this pit, um, they were brought for, uh, you know, like a little congratulatory, good job, boys, that's good, 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 good. And then while their backs were turned, their leading commander mowed them down. So they were killed. All of them were killed just to protect the secret of wow. where this location was. <laughs> okay. So this is, this is huge. Like, I... Anyway, so this Helmut Ganschel, the Nazi Nazi hunter, as we refer to, <laughs> he believes that the treasure is still there, buried in this tunnel known as the Snake. Okay. And he um, refers to this guy, Christoph Klein, which was another SS general. And he was the one that was kind of the basis of this information, this lead. And uh, basically, Helmut Ganschel, he pursued this, and he has radar images that seem to show a massive pit in the middle of this field. And he believes that this is the entrance to the snake tunnel. And uh, interestingly, too, right beside this site, there's a field that was actually used as an emergency airfield during the war. So there was actually another story involved in this where there was several crates brought by tr- brought by plane, sorry, and then buried along with the rest of them. Wow. Yeah. So interestingly, he can't... <laughs> Due to political issues and just uh, red tape and everything, Ganshul hasn't been able to excavate. And I, I believe it is because it's on Czech territory and the Czechs don't want to give anything back to the Russians. They think it's too sensitive. They don't want to uncover all this stuff and they just want it to be to stay buried. Hmm. Yeah. Leave the past in the past. But it's like, if it's buried, then 
I, I don't even know. It's so funny. It's like, it's like to, to say, it's like implying that they know something's there, but at the same time saying that they don't know anything's there. It's too sensitive. that it's... They've literally said it's too sensitive. It's like it's too sensitive, but no one gets to see it, mm-hmm. right? Like nobody gets to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I want... Is it too sensitive because of purely, like, I don't even know. Like just, yeah, like financial reasons, like going into the past, like reparations wise. Like, That's just that it. it? Like, they don't want to be... In, they, they're not big fans of the Russians. They don't want to cooperate with them. They don't want to give anything back to them. And they just don't really want to be involved seemingly that's right. like their official stance they're fair enough like, i mean the, they're like screw all you we were effed over enough during the war we don't want to be more yeah, so now definitely. i don't know how they would be really now but anyways maybe there was some sort of implications on the czech side of things yeah. who knows the czech republic has gone through some rough times in european mm-hmm. history yeah for sure definitely now they're you know the republic i'm reminded of uh my least favorite author but i still respect him and kafka um <laughs> Yeah, that was pre the formation of the Czech Republic, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> he's just such a Debbie Downer, man. That was when Prague was like it was like a country and a city in itself. It was like a state, yeah, a city state. Just, 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 take, just smoke some weed or something, Kafka. Well, Come on, pal. I don't know if it would have done him any good. But anyways, Maybe, yeah. so this Ollie guy, Ollie Steeds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. All the seeds. Okay, so he investigates this line of thought further, and he uncovers uh, another operation happening in the same area on the other side of the border. So we've got a Czech operation going on, and we've got a German operation going on, Mm -hmm. and they're butting heads, and there's a lot of politics going on. People are upset, man. Yeah. And people on the Czech side are upset that former SS officers are actually involved in the German effort to recover this. And they're also upset that the Germans have agreed to gift back anything they find to Russia. So there's a lot of politics going on in this. But essentially, um, the search takes Ollie and his crew to a small town near the Czech border. So this is on the German side. And it's named uh, Deutschendorf. Deutschendorf. I don't even know how to say that. But anyways. Yeah. It's, yeah. Deutschendorf. So, Deutschendorf. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> this was a town that was the site of a lot of mining operations. Mm-hmm. So predominantly um, copper, a little bit of silver, that type of thing. And these have been going on since the 16th century. And he talked to this guy named Hans Peter Hoistein. Hoistein? I don't even know how, how to say that. But essentially, he is the mayor of this Czech town. And since the dissolution of the Soviet Union, he has been involved in the recovery of the Amber Room yeah. and other consequent treasures that might have been buried in the hills along this area. Mm-hmm. So he kind of has led the investigation and there have been miles and miles of tunnels searched underground and, and they've been slowly excavating them. They're very, very precarious i would say um maybe some booby traps in there too like some mines and things like that so they have to be really careful when they're going through this i find it absolutely fascinating just the sheer distance that these that these tunnels stretch and then just the fact that like how many more there could be that we don't know exist how many were blown up like the entrances exactly totally and he has uncovered a lot of um like carved stuff from the nazis in the walls of these so it does um actually support the idea that they were using these extensively right okay yeah, so Alstein, um, as I will refer to him, the mayor, Mayor yeah. Alstein, began his search based on the clue from the mouth of a dying Nazi who proclaimed that the Amber Room was buried in the hills of the area. He wasn't exact, 
but he did say this, and it was confirmed further by witnesses, including Holstein's own father, okay. um, who did support the idea that there were many boxes and crates, over five shipments sent to the area at the closing of the war. That's a good amount of items. Right? Okay, so this is where it gets even juicier. Okay. Even more conspiratorial here. So among these um, these boxes and crates that were sent, allegedly there were significant incriminating documents from the regime. And he believes, this Mayor Olstein believes that the Amber Room could have been used as a disguise or some sort of, um, like something to take the attention away from these documents. Okay. And he alludes to this idea that the Amber Room is known. It's an easy distraction from the other more incriminating elements that have yet to be uncovered from World War II. Mm-hmm. Things that have not been resolved. And he has actually been, um, he's received death threats, uh, anonymous letters, uh, threatening to give up the hunt or else his entire town and his family will be killed. Yes. Okay. So this is insane. And it, it also details how these underground caves and, and networks are riddled with booby traps and explosives and how they could possibly contain Himmler's archives on the Jewish annihilation, as well as the famed Jewish silver of Konigsberg. So a treasure even beyond the Amber beyond, Room. Beyond, beyond, and yeah. the and, and as long as we're talking treasure here, I know you're going to get to it, but this idea of other crimes, like documents, okay. Other well, crimes. Do- documents on details of the concentration camps, okay, that's just going to add a cherry on top of mm-hmm. an already horrible war crime we know happened. From the Germans. From the Germans. But what about other states? Exactly. And involved? that's where it gets tricky yeah and there are people that have suggested that in in these documents exactly that there could be records of even more extensive crimes that we don't even know about there could also be perhaps bank account numbers there was a suggestion that perhaps the amber room had been uh essentially carted off and is actually sitting in a swiss bank account like in a in a a deposit Exactly. Safe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that the secret and the, the the access codes and everything have just gone to the grave with whoever was responsible. Yeah. This, um, I mean, th- I just wanted to say like that, yeah. that definitely like, it makes sense that somebody in modern times would be receiving death threats and things like that for something like this. It, I mean, the, it does seem sort of fishy on the one hand that anything like this would still exist. Although if during the forties, during the end of the war, like in the last ditch effort to be like, Oh crap, we need to hide this stuff. And then it's in this very obscure underground booby trapped area. Well, the Swiss can't very well just hoof their way into check or wherever to go find it. So yeah, it's you're you're, you're left with these things potentially. So imagine imagine if you know yeah. whatever twenty five years from now, this is uncovered, say, and we realize that like that would re- rewrite world world history. It, it would. would, right? It because would. you would, especially for I mean, we obviously we're harping on the Swiss here, mm-hmm. but we know that obviously it's only been recently that Swiss Swiss bank accounts have been cracked down on with the whole Panama Papers thing that came out in the last few years and oh, stuff true. like that. Yeah. Literally, it's just been recently. Mm-hmm. And up until that, that's obviously been the most well-known place to store your money, whether you are a African warlord or a Colombian drug dealer. Or even or, the U.S. Or, president. Or, 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 exactly. Yeah, or and even that, the U.S. president. You made a really good point about this, Andrew, too, the other day when I brought this up originally. You said... Because I was like, oh, like the Swiss were spared in all this. Like even though the U.S. Treasury were making accusations that they were 
very complicit in a lot of Nazi operations, and it wasn't it wasn't um, coercive. It was cooperative. Right. And the reason, perhaps, that the Swiss didn't get reprimanded is because everyone important in the world has money stored in Swiss yeah, bank accounts. Yeah, pretty much, right? And if they found out <laughs> so, they were implicated, they, 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 literally, that's one step away from being connected to the Nazis, right? So if yeah. you're George Clemenceau, if you're Woodrow Wilson, if you are any of these states that are participating in the formation of the League of Nations after the war... You can't very well implicate yourself in no. bank accounts associated with stolen Nazi treasure. It's insane, man. And it gets even crazier. Okay, so Ollie Steeds, this investigation, obviously they were focusing on the Amber Room, but during the process of making this film, they uncovered much, much more. And they revealed a lot of that in the official blog. And so... This is quotes from the blog here. He says, A number of our sources told us that the Amber Room would most likely have been hidden along with numbers to secret bank accounts. At first, I didn't realize the complexity and complicity of the Swiss involvement. The total amount of gold looted by the Nazis during the war itself, not only from defeated nations such as Belgium, Holland, and Hungary, but from Jewish and other victims, is now estimated at... $580 million. Right. The gold came from governments and civilians, including the Jews murdered in concentration camps, from whom everything was taken down to the gold filings of their teeth. Of this, about $400 million, worth about $4 billion today, went to Switzerland, either to the Swiss National Bank's own account or through their banks to other nations. So they were the conduit through AKA which this money... Argentina. Yeah, exactly. So it says here, this is huge. Swiss shipping lines furnished Germany with a large number of boats for the transport of goods. Switzerland also allowed an unprecedented use of its railways to link Germany and Italy for the transport of coal and other goods. Yeah, new, new, super neutral, hey? Super neutral. Oh, yeah. So he goes on to say that there is a huge amount we don't know about what happened during the war with the Nazi legacy, including the complicity of others and the location of some of their plunder, which remains unsolved. Yeah, he's yeah, not. He, he and he even says here he's, he's not obviously saying that the Amber Room is held in a Swiss bank account vault, even though anything is possible. But he thinks it's possible that the Amber Room has been hidden along with these numbers to Swiss bank accounts. And he went on to say he had so much detail, and we'll include a link to this in the show notes. But he went on to say that essentially over the years the Swiss have been very shady in recovering quote unquote these like lost funds or whatever. Yeah. I think it was in the 1950s, they recovered, magically recovered 9.8 million. Billion. Billion, sorry. And then in the 70s, they again uncovered 30 billion, but, or sorry, not billion, million, I believe. I think you originally said. No, no, it it was 400 billion, million. So of that 400 million, they uncovered 9 million, then 30 million, then a few other millions. Gotcha. Like, so it, it's just this gradual sort of process over the years, but they still haven't accounted for a lot, like over 50% of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And obviously those values are are, are way higher today, like as, oh, yeah. you're, as you're describing it. Like it was $400 million in the 40s. And then as they're going the decade, you know, up to the 60s and 70s and blah, 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 they're mm-hmm. finding this, that, and the other thing. And the total value today would have been $4 billion. Essentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm... <clears throat> yeah, I'm fascinated in all of this. I I want to I I'm more interested in finding these documents than the, than the Amber Room now. Exactly, right? right? It just gets the story gets more and more fascinating as you yeah, go along. Yeah, like who else could be implicated in this? Like, you know, it's 
it's it's interesting. It's it's very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's still a very um, it's a hotbed topic. Yeah, still to this day, over you, seventy years later. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny too. Like back in the forties, obviously there wasn't quite obviously still like manufacturing weapons and like tanks and planes and stuff was like big industry, especially planes coming into play more so in the Second World War. But it's not the same as like say like Halliburton being able to profit off of like the Ara- the Iraq War and stuff like that. Yeah, the privatization. So I, so I don't know how much coordination or would would have happened between potentially like how you know like how much right allies how many would have been like down mm-hmm. for i don't think it was quite like the way it is today it's not um, it's not the same as far as like outsourcing but it, they would have been complicit in just the basic like the transport of stuff right yeah even just basic goods coal cereals yeah. you know things like that mm-hmm. like you, you never know and mm-hmm. everyone <laughs> everyone's implicated to a certain degree i would say right yeah so anyways that's that's very interesting i really liked ollie's approach to this mystery he was very open he you know he's he's obviously doing it for a tv show so you're always hampered by that format but i liked a lot of what he had to say yeah me too mm-hmm. so there's a few other locations as well and um <clears throat> excuse me oh my gosh got coffee burps here <laughs> um <laughs> One of these other locations is the Ore Mountains, or uh, Hartenstein. Hartenstein. Mm-hmm. Another location in southeast Germany near the Czech border. Right, so mm-hmm. same sort of area that we've been talking about here. And this is this has been recently, there's actually been three German sort of retirees, these, these pensioners as they describe <laughs> themselves. They're basically using their pension money to go on a treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, Leonard Bloom, 73, Pete... Uh, Peter, I'm trying to pronounce it like uh, Peter Lore, 71, and Gunther Eckhart, 67. So they basically think the Amber Room could be hidden in deep underground tunnels outside of the Orm Mountains in southeastern Germany. And yeah, that their entrances have now been blown up, right? Mm-hmm. So that they need to be essentially re-excavated, right? And they have evidence of that. It's not as if they're just... No. Yeah. The question is why. I mean, obviously, lots of tunnels and entrances and this, that, and the other thing were blown up during the war. It doesn't mean because it was hiding treasure, but... Mm-hmm. They do yeah. have other evidence to support, though. Right. So the team has extensively studied witness reports filed long, long, long ago by the KGB and the Stasi in their search and came to the conclusion that the Amber Room must have been hidden in this cave network known as the Prince's Cave. And, and mm-hmm. we've mentioned this. So, the, like, the location near the Czech border, local witnesses claim to have seen many big wooden crates loaded into the mouth of these caves that are now no longer existent, mm-hmm. recently mapped out by these explorers using radar. So that's, yeah. So, I mean, maybe we are going to still uncover this stuff right, right? moving forward. So explosives were used to seal up the entrances afterwards, but the cave system lies underneath a railway line. The same line that in 1945 had a train stopped from Konensberg, mm-hmm. of course, the place where the Amber Room was stored by the nazis during the war Mm -hmm. so lots of little breadcrumbs here and this is a quote from lore one of the one of the gentlemen the hideout is underground sorry the hideout is underground is above the railway line where in april 1945 a train from konigsberg was stopped (laughs) it's basically (laughs) the same thing eckhart (laughs) then goes on to say we discovered a tree on a we discovered on a tree traces where steel ropes were used to haul up crates that's kind of interesting yeah um, and then they basically, this was kind of, I thought this was really neat. They used dowsing measurements mm-hmm. to reveal the system of tunnels beneath the cave. 
That's cool. And we've touched on dowsing before. I can't remember yeah. which episode it was. Oh, but, many uh, episodes, yeah. They're really cool. Yeah, so dowsing, obviously, is just a technique to find water underground. Right. But that isn't to say that you couldn't find other things like spaces, like hollowed out spaces underground, too. So I'm assuming that's why they were using it. And this is super, super recent. So, like, we're going to keep up on this. Like, the team is seeking further funding to excavate the tunnel system. This is just as of last year. Yeah. 2017. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, it'll be two years from now and a little better. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. But, yeah, so they haven't really gone too far because of their lack of funds yeah. and probably because of red tape i would say official red tape definitely um but it's just it like okay we should just get into more so the politics of it even though we have kind of touched on this a little bit yeah because obviously this debate is super super fresh it's super ongoing and a lot of the times the amber room has you can use as a political pawn political pawn sorry that's a mouthful a political pawn <laughs> And and it has been used um, as a way to sort of stoke the fires of controversy, either intentionally or unintentionally. Like, you know, like we talked about the checks getting all flared up about this stuff and everyone's just kind of, everyone's getting upset. <laughs> I'm just getting upset. It seems that the Cold War is not over no. and neither is the Second World War. <laughs> just, just recently. <laughs> the Second World War is still ongoing. It's still going. Well, according to that Japanese guy, it's still. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's come around now, I think. Yeah. But, uh, well, I think he's dead. Well, he, he would be dead by now. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> just recently, um, I, oh, for, I don't have the year in front of me here, but, um, the Amber Room was me- mentioned in negotiations, um, between Germany and Russia on the recovery of stolen art objects. This is still a hot topic. Like, they're still trying to, like, because of the, I don't even know, the politics haven't neutralized. It's been no, over and, 70 years, and it still is going But on. at the same time, it's like, that's not that long. Like, we were talking about this before we recorded. We're like, this actually didn't happen that long ago. And, like, you were like, wow, like, my mom, when was your mom born? 1955. It's like, that's not that long after the war ended. It's actually not. It's, it's crazy, crazy to think. To think. I know, right? And it's so funny because there's so many competing theories as to where this room could have gone, all the amber in it. Yes. Um, But there are many skeptics that believe that this whole narrative of a secret Nazi hiding place is simply a way for the Russians to create an alternative narrative and a possibility to negate their involvement in the destruction and the Red Army's destruction of this Amber Room. Right. So to preserve some sense of um, nationalistic pride, they're perhaps coming up with all these things, which I honestly, really though, do you think they're going to spend like millions of dollars on this stuff? Anyway, it is debated. So in these, this sort of more critical alternative viewpoint, um, a lot of people, not a lot of people, there are people who believe that Kuchimov, the original art curator that made the decision to leave the Amber Room where it was in the Pushkin Palace, um, they believe that he is mostly responsible for this cover-up narrative um, to hide the fact that the Russians destroyed the Amber Room. Hmm. Okay. It's all good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. So, uh, allegedly, there are notes in Kushimov's investigation journal about an interview with this resident named Paul Freyerband, who was there at the time of the offensive. And this Freyerband asserts that he was aware that the Amber Room had been dismantled and packed away into the Knights Hall of Konigsberg Castle. And he was actually there, and he was hiding there during the bombings and the offensive and stuff. 
And he related how by April 9th, he had actually hung a white flag of surrender outside the Knights Hall where he was still hiding. <laughs> really? And this was a quote from him. He says, at 11.30 p.m. that night on April 9th, a Russian colonel came. When I told him everything and gave statements, he ordered the evacuation of the castle. At 12.30 a.m. the next day, when I left, my restaurant was occupied by artillery regiments of the Red Army. The cellar and the Knights Hall were not damaged at all. However, I came after I came back from Elbing, where he had been in a hospital, I guess he got hurt, um, he heard from the castle director that the Knights Hall and the restaurant had been burned down, end quote. Okay. So he believes that the Amber Room had been destroyed during this as well. So, yeah. So is, is Kuchimov trying to create an alternative narrative to exclude this sort of interview from the record and sort of create this alternative sort of idea that it survived? I've, yeah. What do you I think? I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm leaning that way. But, okay. But okay. at the same time, though, this, this still just ties into, like, what we've mentioned over and over and over again. It's like, it's six tons of amber. Like, you're not, you're, you're gonna find something. You would think, yeah. Like, if you're looking that hard to find traces of amber room, you are gonna find something. Yeah. Burnt. So, interestingly here, according to this Telegraph article, and according to this British book called The Amber Room that had recently been published uh, by Catherine Scott Clark and Adrian Levy, um, a Apparently, Kuzhimov had suppressed a previous secret investigation that uncovered the charred remains of cases and copper hinges at Konigsberg Castle that came from doors taken from the Pushkin at the same time as the Amber Room. Huh. And it's thought that Kuzhimov was keen to propagate the myth of the missing treasure to divert attention from his failure as curator to save it from the Nazis. Hmm. So it's his own personal whatever. Yeah. What do you think of that? I'm not buying that. Actually, Again, uh, yeah. like, what about this? This idea that there was copper hinges? Why would they be using copper for hinges? Wouldn't it be iron? That, yeah. That doesn't make much sense to me. Not really. So I'm not sure. Um, apparently, these authors did try and do an extensive investigation, which was ridiculed by uh, Russian authorities. They were called amateurs. Yeah. They were called, like, all sorts of names. Essentially, they were um, outraged. Russian officials were outraged, objected to all these interpretations, um, countering that Kuchimov never accused the Red Army of being responsible for such carelessness, and he never once voiced either written or orally this opinion. Hmm. So they're kind of saying, like, but would you say that, right? If no, you, you were Kuchimov, you would not accuse the Red Army of... No, you wouldn't. And this is an interesting quote you, you had down here, like, even the thought that mm. the Red Army could willingly or not be behind the destruction is perceived as blasphemy throughout Russia. So is that just a, a, a firm, staunch stance of denial? I guess, but at the same time, like I mentioned this yesterday when we were talking about talking about this, um, the idea that even if the Russians did destroy it in that siege, that's not their fault. Like, no. I don't, like, I don't even understand why you would even be, like, you, this whole story is a series of the blame game, right? Like, so, and, and, and after the war, it was nothing but the blame game. Blame mm -hmm. Germany, blame Germany, disarmament of Germany. Mm -hmm. Well, if you accidentally destroyed this priceless treasure, that, it, that is 100% Germany's fault. They stole it from you. Mm -hmm. they, they, they reset it up in a precarious location and then didn't bother to take it apart and move it when they, they were under siege. You're not going to stop and say, oh, we're close to ending the war, but we're not going to take over Konigsberg because, because we might destroy a piece of art. This is the world war. That you're exactly. trying to win here. Exactly. So that so I don't really get that mindset of it being like blasphemy the idea because wouldn't wouldn't they just blame the Germans when they just say huh, yeah. the, you guys stole it and you guys destroyed it? 
because you left it in the wide Mm -hmm. open, right? And it's interesting you bring up the blame game because the Germans in this particular idea, conception of what happened in the Amber Room, they actually would blame the allies because they were the ones doing the bombings. Yeah, and so okay, they, they've like, actually made that suggestion before, too. <laughs> oh, sh- yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, guys. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. So there are other people that say that it was destroyed as well during the siege. And there was this guy, um, he, his name is Leonid, Leonid Arishnane, and he's the advisor to the president of the Russian Culture Foundation. And he actually did agree with these British researchers that the Amber Room had been destroyed. But again, argued that it was not the Red Army to be blamed. Okay. And um, at the time, this Arnishtin guy, he was an infantry p- p- platoon commander. And he had visited Konigsberg Castle on the evening of April 8th, 1945, before the fires began. Hmm. And apparently, he was one of the last people to see what was remaining of the masterpiece. In a quote in the St. Petersburg Times, Arnstein actually said, Panels of the Amber Room were kept in the basement packed in boxes. Fires at Konigsberg started before the storm of the city as a result of massive bombings by the American and British aviation. Hmm. So if the question of who responsible arises, it would be more appropriate to accuse the Allied Air Forces. <laughs> so this guy was actually 19 years old at the time of the siege. He entered the castle that fateful April day with his sergeant. And basically he described how he was too young to understand what he was seeing and doing, but he saw pieces of the panels and he saw a mirror that was lined with amber on the walls of the Knights Hall still. So not wow. all of it had been packed away, apparently. Just some of it. All yeah. right. And there was a caretaker left on the grounds, and Arnstein asked him what these treasures were, because he didn't know, because he was so young. And the custodian replied that the, am- the rest of the Amber Room was located in the basement of the building, and he even offered to show him where it was. But <sighs> Arnstein declined for whatever reason. He what didn't say idiot. why. I know. And then years later in the paper, he saw this mystery. Like, I don't know if this is when the Stasi was um, like pleading for help with the public to kind of come forward. But he um, he kind of put the two and two together at that point. But he never came forward with his information, which is weird. That's fishy. Right? I know. I don't like that. <laughs> but then there's another alternative idea here that it could have been destroyed in August 1944, which is weird, right? So this was wow. from theamberroom.org. And there, I guess there was another assault that happened on the city. Maybe some bombs went over. Okay. Konigsberg Castle was allegedly... Um, it was... Uh, damaged heavily i saw i saw an image of it it looked quite destroyed (laughs) but (laughs) essentially there was this um woman named mrs am and she was a history teacher from berlin and an eyewitness apparently and she was working with this guy who was um a curator for the amber room in konigsberg and essentially after this bombing had happened she asked him what happened to the amber room and quietly he just said it had been destroyed and okay. so this was in 1944, which is, I don't even know what to make of this because I don't really know. And it says here, this is an interesting quote here. This is where I was going to say we're getting into how Amber burns. Mm-hmm. So this Dr. Rode, he was like the main, the renowned Amber expert in the field at the time. And okay. he was working with the Nazis. He wasn't a Nazi himself, but he was in the effort. And essentially he says, um, Amber is gasoline, quote unquote. So the resin burns with large flames already at a low temperature and leaves only coal. It would never leave a honey-like substance as reported by this woman, Mrs. Am, who said that she was brought down to the basement and saw these like this oozing goo honey-like substance that was coming in between these boards, like wooden boards. 
so weird, right? Almost like a resin, I guess. But um, or maybe a fake. Or maybe a fake, yeah, because it was Dr. Road, apparently, that told her that it had been destroyed. So maybe there was another alternative thing already in play saying that, okay, we've already spirited away the Amber Room right. long before the siege of April 1945. Yeah. And that there may have been, yeah, exactly that. A sort of a hoax or like Crates a... Crates full of uh, amber-like substances. Of, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, who knows? So that was the other thing. So the amberroom.org is of the mind that the Amber Room is out there somewhere still and that this Mrs. Alm was lying or that uh, Dr. Rode was lying to her about it. Very interesting. So another juicy tidbit. Definitely. Yeah. Huh. So we're getting to the end here. Mm-hmm. There's so many different places that this thing, this Amber Room could be. And there was a lot of really interesting ones here. So we've got some other alternative theories, possible Let's hear locations. It. I'm very curious. You were, I already told you one, this idea that there was uh, this guy named George Stein and he was a strawberry farmer and he allegedly stumbled onto the radio transmission that detailed the final movements of the Amber Room. I don't know how he did this. It's kind of weird. But essentially he, he met up with someone who was described as a search competitor. So I'm assuming they had their own search going on for the Amber Room. Yeah. They were left unnamed in this article. It's just a list for his article. Mm-hmm. But essentially, he went to meet him in the Barovian Mountains. But okay. instead of anything happening, George Stein was apparently found dead in the woods. And he his stomach had been slashed open with a scalpel. And the official cause of death was ruled suicide. Oh, I don't... I've never heard of anyone committing suicide in that way. Uh, that's because no one has ever committed suicide in that way. Ever exactly. In the history of the world. So um, what happened to him? This was in the 1960s, I believe. Although, actually, that isn't entirely true. Um, didn't, like, Japanese samurais stab themselves and yeah. to, like... But this guy wasn't a Japanese samurai. He was on the <laughs> hunt for some treasure. He wasn't looking to kill himself. No. Like, no. So clearly this is very much like the the mayor that we mentioned earlier. Except mm-hmm. this guy didn't get a warning. He just got a knife to the gut. He just got murked. Yeah. He must have been close then. He must have been. You have to wonder, right? There was another idea that... Um, another Koch connection. Koch. Um, so that guy that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric the, Koch. The yes. SS officer in charge of art in Konigsberg. Right. He apparently was implicated in another. So this guy, uh, a pensioner by the name of Carl Heinz Klein, believes that he knows the location um, and that it was actually in East Prussia and part of Eric Koch's numerous treasures that he had accumulated in his hometown of Wupperall in the Ruhr area. And so he says here, this is a quote from the article, it would not be a far stretch to imagine it of Koch. Even the Nazis were appalled at his brazen thefts and use of concentration camp inmates for personal gain. Koch was tried for corruption before a Nazi court in 1944 and sentenced to death. Later reprieved, he returned to favor and continued amassing his personal fortune until the end of the war. You got to imagine that the reason he was reprieved and later could like climb back up to power was just because of him already amassing this yeah wealth yeah exactly so he probably had a lot of secrets a lot of um influence yeah. and he was probably yeah to that yeah there's another idea that perhaps um the amber room was sunk on the baltic sea in january of 1945 along with these evacuations there was this boat called the willem gustav and it was carrying over four times the number of safe passengers and it was torpedoed by soviet submarines and so people think that it could be down there okay 
Could be um, at the bottom of the Baltic Sea. Yeah. <laughs> back to its final resting place, back to where it came from, really. It, essentially, yeah, exactly. Which that's, is interesting. That's a really good point. There's this other idea that it was buried in um, in Poland in this a Nazi train that was loaded with treasure and tunneling through this mountain in Poland named Walbreit. I don't even know how to say that. Do you have a better way of saying that? Oh, man. <laughs> Polish Polish is tough. I can pronounce something like Wal, uh, Walbrich. Oh, Walbrich. I don't know. Anyways, apparently this is a booby trap train and it has yet to be officially located. <laughs> but people think that there is so many treasures on board, including um, a huge amassed wealth of Jewish wedding bands. So oh, man. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know. That's coming down to the end of it. The only other sort of fun thing that I'd throw out there is the idea that it's hidden in a secret location only known by Stalin. <laughs> so that it was actually a forged amber room that the Nazis uncovered in 1941. And it was never the real thing at all. And that Stalin knows where it is. It's somewhere in Siberia. <laughs> but that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't they just like, you know, after the war is over, they'd be like, hello, Louia. Like, you know, we got yeah, it. Yeah, we found it. Yeah. yeah. You'd think they would, unless he took it to the grave. Yeah. And or, you know, smuggled it out of his own country. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he would have inevitably had you know, Swiss bank accounts and stuff like that, too. Very true. And then there's the whole idea, like, if the Swiss actually did provide these ships, like we mentioned earlier, maybe it's in Argentina now. That was a hotbed for Nazism after that's, the war. Yeah, that's one of those ones I threw out the other day. Like, just the idea that... Although, you, you made the comment that, like, it's not... It wasn't super valuable broken down into individual pieces. Like, Amber was valuable, obviously, but... As a whole, it's much As a more. whole, it was much, yeah, much more valuable. So the idea of it being... I mean, it's it's valuable as an art piece, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, it, it, even if it was smuggled out to Argentina or something like that, it, it wouldn't have really been able to be used as a means of like, you know, yeah, I don't know, continuing the war effort or to, yeah. or to just cash in and like live out your days or whatever. I guess if you got like one door though or something, that would possibly be quite well on the black market exactly to say this is from the Amber Room. Totally. some prince and friggin' wherever has it. That's an interesting point, though. And even to this day, like, this area of the Baltic coast and stuff is a huge mining area for amber still. And the amber that's actually uncovered is quite raw. It's not valuable in itself. It's only valuable once it's been carved into, like, art pieces by uh, skilled craftsmen. And, and refined. and yeah, Refined, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah theoretically you know that's another interesting point just to sort of end the episode is the idea that the amber room does exist um it has been reconstructed it's in russia yeah and it was made with over eight million um, dollars worth of amber i believe and the interesting part is how they constructed it or reconstructed it Definitely. So, like, they... Do you want me to go? Sure. Yeah, so it's like, because the only photographs they had of the original Amber Room were black and white, they basically took modern black and white photographs that were replicas of what it would have been to take those photos in the the 30s, I guess Mm -hmm. it would have been, and then matched up the grayscale tones of their modern photographs and amber to what the colors would have been in the amber room so, and then yeah. matched it up piece by piece grayscale by grayscale to to, <sighs> to reconstruct can you imagine how, how long that would have taken it. unbelievable but obviously worth it and i believe um tourists can visit they can it right yes i would love to go and that's just it too because when they went about reconstructing it obviously a lot of the skilled craftsmen that were around during the original construction in 1701 
um, a lot of that craft had disappeared. Yeah. So amber wasn't nearly as valuable these days, and the the skill of carving it was lost essentially. Yeah. So they had to kind of regain an understanding of that. They went through a lot. They actually constructed full panels that they just threw away. Yeah. Because they were like, no, this isn't right. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with exactly that: the colors of the amber, which correlates to the age of the amber yes. and the amount of oxidization, whatever else present. So they had to, yeah, exactly, take all these photographs and then match up the exact pigment of amber. Yeah. And then reconstruct. In, in, the, in, in the shade gray. It's just so cool. Talk Bizarre. about a billion shades of gray. That's crazy, um, <laughs> man. That's insane. Yeah. So I'm, I definitely believe that this thing is still out there. I don't think that the Germans would have let it be destroyed at Konigsberg. And I think it was far too valuable, both politically and financially, for it to just be left to the way, by the wayside. Mm -hmm. I think it's hiding possibly in Switzerland. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Like it's in a Swiss bank account? Yeah, because they would never be able to release it. Mm -hmm. And at every year that ticks by, it's less and less likely that it will ever be released. <laughs> yeah. And eventually it will. Eventually. If it is there. Yeah. Or cash, that's straight up Nazi plunder. Could you imagine right? if we like, get like a World War Three, and this time Switzerland isn't spared? Because a lot of people will point to the idea that Switzerland was helping the Nazis because they didn't want to get invaded themselves. But then on the alternative side of that, they were continuing to cooperate even as the Germans were retreating. So there's that. Because there was financial gain. Exactly. And I mean, but, but imagine this though. Like imagine if we get this World War Three. And then what if the Swiss aren't spared? What if their territory is actually taken over? What if people begin to raid these Swiss banks and Find get an idea of all things. the treasures that are in you there? You never know. You never know. Yeah. Ah, until that happens. Yeah, of course, World War Three is just going to be nukes and we're all toast well, in two seconds anyway. And then it's not really even worth it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, if, if it didn't come to that, then. Yeah. What's your conclusions on this, though? So you think it's out there? I think, think it's, it's out in, there. Yeah? I feel like, I, yeah, I mean... I, I, I want it to be in a cave somewhere, right? Like, I want it to be treasure to be found, like, in a tunnel. And I believe, I mean, it's super likely. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, 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 the Germans did leave behind booby traps and stuff like that. So, like, oh, it yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and even to this day, like, even, like, submarines and people searching for sunken treasure will find, you know, un, untouched, you know, submerged mm -hmm. explosives and, and stuff from the war. And I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's hidden underground somewhere. And or in a Swiss bank account. I do like to Vault. stick to the idea that I like this comparison, this analogy that Nazis were a lot like rats. And rats have nests and they have nests everywhere. And I believe, and rats are crafty, man. They are not, they plan ahead. And I mm -hmm. believe that if the Nazis had planned ahead that far, to, so in 1933, they'd already established yeah. this program they already knew that they were going to be invading russia at one point or another yeah so who's to say that they wouldn't have had an, an overall exit strategy as well very true i don't know very true i yeah i love this mystery this was a fun one we want to know what you guys one. think what is the most plausible yeah so leave a comment um, here on patreon um there's there's an yeah. area below where you guys can leave comments and all of our yeah patrons feel free to email us too, that too. message us absolutely we might even have a discussion thread on our facebook forum group yeah that'd be cool mm -hmm. that would be really fun and um 
to everyone else listening, because this is obviously a free preview until the new year. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us here on Patreon and checking out our Min Min Lights mini episode and the Lost Amber Room full length episode. We hope you've enjoyed them. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we're just we're just happy that you're on on our Patreon site and you can check things out. So totally. um, if you feel like you want to contribute, that's awesome. And we just we're just stoked you guys listen to the episodes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We appreciate you all. Is there anything else you want to say before we finish up? I believe that's it. Right. Um, you can always find us on our socials, of course, uh, into the portal mailbox at gmail.com yeah. uh, into portal one on twitter into the portal podcast on instagram and of course our lovely facebook group so yeah. come join us absolutely mm-hmm. all right guys until next time <laughs>